David is very much uh, something I refer to often. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. To glory of God alone, friends, we deal with a gigantic subject. To the glory of God alone. I have often heard in our own prayer meetings as a church, no doubt like yourselves, that phrase, when we pray, we say, to God be the glory. We often find ourselves ascribing the glory to him for the outcome of answered prayer or an outcome of a circumstance or a situation that has been pressing on us, maybe something private, maybe it's something as a family, maybe something as the, the body of Christ, and we see these things answered, and our response rightly is this, to God be the glory. Yeah. It's often the cry, isn't it, the preacher, that God will be glorified in his preaching. Or the evangelism of the open air work that, or any other evangelistic work. We think of the children gone off. May God be glorified. May God have the glory. We often pray that God will be glorified in our families. We often pray that God will be glorified in our relationships. And of course we pray, and we pray rightly, and we ought to be praying fervently and habitually that with our churches... God is glorified and spilling out, friends, in our communities. I was listening to something a few days ago about the church, a good documentary on the church, by the way, AGTV. Maybe you could watch it at a church. And Alistair Begg called the church the well. Christ is the water, and it ought to be springing into our communities. We pray, don't we? We say, may God be glorified amongst us. May God be glorified. May he have the glory in our lives, in our churches. And saints, this, this is the right thing to be. This is, this is the language, the heart that we all ought to have. We should be a people who desire such things. We, we should be a people who are set to say, in soli deo gloria. To God be the glory. The aim and sum of all things is the glory of God. The aim and sum of all things ought to be to the glory of God. Indeed, if it is not, there are fundamental issues, fundamental issues with our faith. This was... The dedication of the reformers, whether it be private life or their public life, they were truly a people who were set out to do what the scripture says. If any of you have ever looked at that period of the reformers, if you haven't, I would. They were men, they were women. Whether it be eating or drinking, they truly wanted to be a people as the scriptures commanded, to do it all unto the Lord. I wonder for myself, I wonder for you as a, a local church here, can we truly say that of ourselves? 
is our hope and aim and desire to be a people who give God all the glory. So this morning, friends, I want us to look at one verse. Russell's read the three verses from 33 to 36, but I want to I want to pick up on verse 36. And if you do have a Bible with you, have it there so you can glance at it as I refer to it. Back in the church at Jacksdale, it's each Lord's Day at the end of the service, I will read that portion out of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. I hope that by the end of our time together today that we can be encouraged to consider that we would be a people who thoroughly conclude that all glory is due to God and to God alone. I reference Steve Lawson, he said this, there are two ways in which the Bible speaks of glory. Number one, God's intrinsic glory. God's intrinsic glory. Meaning who God is in his person. You will be dealing with some of that as you go through these attributes. That on, a, on a Tuesday, I think it is, that you meet. His attributes. You'll be going through things such as he is immutable. He is love. He, he is a God of love. He is wise. He is a God of wrath. He is a God of kindness and patience. A God who is sovereign. This is who God is. This is who God is. The God of glory. Steve Lawson goes on to say, then we have the ascribed glory. The intrinsic glory and the ascribed glory. Which is the glory that his people seek to give him. That's what we seek to do. We seek, I'm sure, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning. We seek to live a life to give him all the glory. Whether that be in song, whether that be in praise, whether that be in prayer, whether that be in our conduct, whether that be in our commitment to the local church. Whatever it is that we might do, whether we're eating or drinking, we do it all unto the Lord. So this is scribe glory, which is the glory that you, as his people, give him. In praise and worship, we ascribe to him all the glory. I want us to look at two. I want us to look at two things within this one verse. You can see it there, that's very handy. First part of it is a doctrinal statement. For of him and through him and to him are all things. There we have this, this doctrinal statement that the apostle makes. And then we have the second part, which is doxology, which is praise to God. To him be the glory forever. Brethren, these two things are inseparable. You cannot separate them. This great statement by the Apostle Paul leads him to give him all the glory. So a question. The question that I would put to you today, why, you might find this 
a silly question, but I think it's a, a, one that is vital for us all to ask. Why is all the glory ascribed to God forever? Why, why, why is it that we ascribe all the glory to God forever? You might say, you've already told, told us so. In fact, I know, I know these things. But if you're willing, allow me to remind you. The answer is this. For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things. I want you to know that all... The all in that line are all things. That's the everything. That is the whole. All of these things, everything, all that you can imagine, are all to his glory. The whole, the everything, are through him and to him. You see, you see the, even within that one verse there, what, what you see is the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, friends, is a, a declaration of a God, the only God, who is sovereign over all things. Also mentioned, I think. Yeah. You're going to be looking at that subject in the week. It's profound. It is profound. And we're touching it this morning. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is the one who holds all things in his hands. Friends, know this. No raindrop falls without his say-so. No raindrop falls without his say-so. Yeah. Let me say this. No leaf falls from a tree without his permission. Yeah. Indeed, the earth is his footstool, is it not? Yeah. He is the maker. We sang it in our first hymn. He is the maker and he is the maintainer of all things. And he reigns as sovereign over it. <laughs> And this morning, I want to go through three things that highlight this glory, this sovereignty. Paul ascribes all glory to this sovereign God because the reality of all things is to display his glory. There is a displaying of his glory. This he has done in three ways. Number one will be creation. Number two, in his providence. And then number three, salvation. They're the three things I want to bring to you this morning. God has displayed his glory in three ways. In three particular ways. And because of all of those, we can rightly conclude... And I hope that will be our conclusion this morning. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever. So creation. Creation. The Bible starts here, doesn't it? It has to. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. What does that show us? You see, how often, yes, how often we as, as Christians become immune to such truth. We read Genesis 1 and we think, well, we believe that. Friends, let me say this to you. Our children are out there learning something from the Sunday school teacher. It's one of the most things that is attacked today, still. And without the creation, we haven't got a gospel. Yeah. Remove the first ten chapters out of, of, of Genesis. We haven't got a gospel. God created all things. And do you know how he did it, friends? He did it out of nothing. Yeah. You see the glory in that? What glory it is. He, he created the heavens and the earth. Friends, God did this. God alone did this. God made everything. That which is seen. And even here in Askin, you can, you can see the beauty of God's wonderful creation. What about this? He also created that which was unseen. I remember, Russell, we were sat on my garden with a fire many years ago. And we were talking till the late hours of the night. And we looked, and it was a clear night, and there it was, this, this blanket, if you like, of stars. Yeah. It was nothing, don't get me wrong, it was nothing romantic. We were no doubt at that point doing things we should not have been doing. But we, we had a conversation about creation and the, how vast it was. How that you, can, you, cannot, you cannot out-travel the universe. And what Russell said was this, it displays... The majesty of who God is. Yeah. How true it is. You see, the doctrine of creation, as I've already mentioned, is one in our day, which is one of the most attacked in our modern age. Attack that, you disprove God, at least in their agenda. You see, there is, isn't there, Russell's prayed it, as he prayed when the children went out, there is a, an effort to disprove God. A heart that mocks God. And friends, I say this to you this morning. If that doesn't show us the depravity of man, I am not sure what will. There is an evil agenda. But we ask, I ask you this morning, what, what is it that creation shows us? We could go all over the scriptures to answer that. What does creation show us? The most obvious, no doubt, will be to you, Psalm 19, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiworks. The heavens declare. The heavens announce His glory. They announce it. You know, I don't want to go too... Two off my notes here. Joy often tells me, she said, can you be done by 12? And I will try. <laughs> the glory, the heavens describe who God is. <clears throat> we ought not to pass by it. 
We ought not to, to, to belittle it. Psalm 33 repeats it in many ways. Let me read this to you. Psalm 33, 6 through 9. Listen to it, friends. Listen to the beauty of it. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now that should astound us. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in a storehouse. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitations of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. As I've already said, friends, I'll ask you to go and meditate upon those words. Creation is the display of the glory of God. And if you like, we could say that creation shows us somewhat of the God of creation. We confidently say that creation displays God's omnipotence. Joel B. comments, he says this, Creation was a work of immense power and is evident from the vast size of the universe. Listen to this. Listen to this glorious thing that John Bean finishes with. However, a striking feature of the creation account is the ease in which God performed it. Yeah. I'm going to read it to you again. Creation was a work of immense power, as it is evident from the vast size of the universe. How big is the universe? You cannot tell me. I cannot tell you. It goes as far as east is from west. The universe is something that you and I cannot comprehend. We cannot comprehend it because if we can comprehend the universe, we can comprehend the God who made it. He is vast, friend. He is awesome in power. He is awesome in knowledge. And then Joel B, because I've already said, and I make no apology for repetition, a striking feature of the creation of the count is the ease in which God performed it. Friends, this did not trouble the Lord. It was formed by the word of his power. And it is a display, friends, of his glory. Creation is an expression of the glory of God in power, in wisdom, in rule. We see God's goodness. We see the will of God coming to pass. Where do, we, where do you think we see the will of God coming to pass in creation? And again, these are things, no doubt, that you're going to pick up as you, you do your, your Bible study on a Tuesday. Where do we see the will of God and then I say, where do we see it coming to pass in creation? Very straightforward, really. It might sound like a, a hard question, but once I give you the answer, you'll say, of course. Where is the will of God? Let there be light. That was the will of God. The will of God that there was light. And what happened? There was 
light. He said it, there it was. This is the immense yeah. power of the God of heaven and earth. Friends, do you see the glory of God in all of this? If you're like me, we take for granted the, the beauty of what God's creation is. What he's done. And I repeat again, and it did not trouble him. It did not trouble him to bring this to pass. The Apostle Paul says something that is most profound in the, in the letter to those at Colossus, chapter 1, verse 17. And he is before all things. For he there is Christ. He is before all things. And then listen to this. And in him. You, you notice again the hymns. Not H-Y-M-N. The H-I-M. The hymns. This is always ascribed to him. That's what the apostle does. There's an exaltation of Christ all the way through these letters. And here we see it again. It is he is before all things. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And in Him, in Him, all things consist. This verse, friends, not, not only tells us that Christ was the creator of all things. It goes beyond. It goes deeper. It goes higher. But that all things consist in Him. That is, that all things are held together by Him. This standalone verse once again communicates to us the glory that belongs to God and friends to God alone. Creation pulls back the curtain a little so that we can glimpse of the glory of God. And what, are, what is our response to all of this? What is our response to all of this? Allow God through the stars in their place. It is he who causes the sun to rise in the morning. The sea to go so far as it is told. The trees and the flowers to blossom in their due season. What do we conclude? We must conclude that this displays the glory of our God. That God is ascribed all the glory from his people. For of him... And through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. We move on swiftly to point number two. Providence. There's a great book on providence by a Puritan called John Flavel, which is very much worth reading. And it's a, it's a lovely subject to tackle. We have to tackle it because it is so connected to creation. You see, the God who created the, the heavens and the earth has not left it abandoned. Therefore, leaving it to, to care for itself or to take control of itself. No, friends. Rather, that God governs the whole of the universe as he determines and wills. It's a footstool. Louis Burkhoff comments like this. Creation 
is the calling into existence of that which did not exist before. While providence continues or causes to continue what has already been called into existence. In plain English, God made all things and govern all things by the word of his power. He created it and he maintains it. And don't, friends, ever, ever put that in question. No matter what is going on right now, no matter how dark it seems to be, remember, light is never put out by darkness. We ought to be encouraged. Psalm 103 verse 19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. He makes nations great, reading from Job. He makes nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like drunken men. I think some of us don't like that. I think some of us struggle with a concept like that. We look around and we think, how can there be a God when all this is going on? Russell's no doubt told you that we were very much thrown into the open air work when we first started out. Do still do much of much open air work. Not only in the open air, maybe, maybe in the places that you work. Maybe, maybe here as you're mingling on a Tuesday and people are coming in. And just one of those questions is this. How can there be a God when all this is taking place? Yeah, you ever been asked that? Yeah. Let me say this to you. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth. And he makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light. And he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Friends, do not ever question what the Lord is doing. He is in full and he is in complete control. We've got a problem with that. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. I want to say this, friends. Though it's hard, isn't it, to grasp at times. Particularly when we apply it to our own heartaches, our own griefs, our own struggles, our own circumstances, our own losses. But saints, know this. God gives and he takes away. God preserves the universe. Is that not what the ruler's responsibility is? Again, these, these are truths that have been so minimalized in the contemporary approach to preaching. We do not hear these things. But there is a vast truth in them, friends, and there's a vast comfort in them as well. Answer this in your own heart and mind as I ask you. 
Who causes the rain to fall? Who determined what sex you are? Who decided who your parents would be? Who gave you the spats you have? Who numbered the hairs on your head? Who is it, really, who guides your path? I trust you conclude it is the God of creation. It is the God of providence. And it is the God of salvation to whom we will consider in a moment. God is a God of providence. Is it not the God who made Nebuchadnezzar eat like a beast? You remember the story? How a king who thought he was mighty was humbled in a moment. Is it, is it not the, the God who sent the fish to swallow up Jonah? You'll remember that, of course. But not only to swallow up Jonah, he commanded that the fish would spew him out. Is it not the God who gave quail in the wilderness? Is it not the God who fed Elijah by ravens? Is it not the God who has said, all these other things shall be added unto you? Brethren, these subjects deserve a sermon in and of themselves. But as we consider today in the light of our subject, the glory of God, what we must recognise is that these great truths display the glory of God and these truths must and should cause his people to cry out, to God be the glory. For of him and through him are all things, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Friends, I hope you're following me. This, and I mean all of this, is ultimately for his glory. In creation, in providence. And this leads us to the third, and I would say, most glorious point in which he has glorified himself. Before I go there, let me say this. You've probably heard it already. But we live in a day, friends, where the gospel has become about what men want. We've got, we've got, we've got everything we need. We just need the cherry on the top. Let me tell you, friends, Jesus Christ is not the cherry on the top of anything. He is all things. Yeah. He is glorious. And he is not an addition to our life. He ought to be our life. Because we're going to consider the third, and I've put in my notes, in my view, of course, I'm sure you would agree, of course, if you belong to him, where he has displayed his glory and has glorified himself in the salvation of sinners. You see, God in his wisdom planned from all eternity to save a people unto himself. Matthew 1 verse 21 says, When he comes, they shall call his name Jesus. And what should Jesus do? He shall save his people from their sins. 
Why did he do this? Have you ever thought that? Why did God, you see, and remember, remember, remember this, that Christ is not plan B. Christ is not plan B. The cross of Christ is not plan B. You see, if it becomes plan B, that means plan A went wrong, and that means God has been trumped. Christ was not plan B. But why would he? Why would he do this? Would he have not been just in letting all men to go to an eternity of hell? Would he have been just in doing that? I profoundly and loudly say yes, he would. He would be just in doing that. You see, if we can say yes to that question, then the following comments I will seek to make will be far more easier and far more palatable. So I ask this, why then has he chosen to save? Why has he chosen to save a people to himself? And the answer is, right at the top, the climactic end to it all is for his own glory. It is for his own glory. You see, I, I, I'm very well aware, and I know that the first two headings, creation and providence, that, that in many ways are, are very palatable. We can, we can take that. We can, we, can, we, can, we can make those grounds easy to make a doctrinal statement, if you like, about them. We, we can say that God is the God of creation. We can say that God is a God of providence, that all things work together for good to them, that love God and are called according to his purpose. We can, we can, we can feel comfortable with that because that, we're beneficiaries of that. We can accept the, with ease that God created the universe for his own glory. Even with some raised alibis, maybe we can succumb to the reality that God is a God of providence. Though at times it's difficult, particularly when we look out and we see, we see, we see the world the way it is. We, we, we often relate the things that have happened in our own life. But we, we, we can, though it raises eyebrows, though it casts doubt at times in our weak moments in the Christian life. But we can still conclude that God is in charge and God is sovereign. Yet for some reason, when we come to salvation, we all, all of us, in one way, shape or form, seem hesitant to be committed to the reality that Scripture clearly teaches that this work of salvation is a complete work of grace. And it is ultimately for His own glory. Friends, this morning I don't quote from any book, nor any ism. But I quote from what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Scripture. My hope is that these precious lines of Scripture will bless you. And, and, and give you a, a further and a deeper, concrete faith on what all that the Lord has done for you. And if we struggle with the sovereignty of God, if we struggle with a God who rules and reigns, if we, if we struggle that he is 
and will save a people to himself and it is ultimately for his glory then my hope is that our scales the scales would fall up from our eyes and that we would see that this was ultimately and always God's plan and God's plan is eternal it is personal and let me say this friends it will succeed yeah. you see your plans they might come to pass my plans they may they may come to pass but there's always an air of doubt over it because we are but men but not God and I want to confess to you this morning I'm tired of a gospel I'm tired of a gospel only making it possible that some might be saved let me tell you friends God will gather his people in from every corner of the world from every, you read the book of Revelation every nation, every tribe and every tongue he will gather in a people unto himself and it is ultimately for his glory yeah. listen to what the apostle Paul says just as he chose us in him before in the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to an adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And then listen to what he says. He's just said all those big words. He's said all these truths. He's proclaimed the, the immensity, the height of salvation. And then he says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Friends, why does Paul say to the praise and the glory of his name. Why does he say that? Why do we sing it? Why do we align ourselves in any way to it if we do? Do you see, friends, that, that the statement there, there's no addition. There's no place or praise to be made to any other except from God alone. And today we have a gospel that praises men. How good you were. But this is ultimately all for his glory. And all the glory will go to no other except from the God of our salvation. You see, Paul says this because what he's declaring is God did this. It was God who saved you. It was God who has loved you. It was God who set his love upon you. He did this. He did it. You didn't do it, friends. I know some of us struggle with that, but he did, you did nothing. He quickened you and he made you alive. How wonderful is this gospel? He made you alive. What did creation do, friends? Let me ask you this. Again, only think about it. You can speak to Russell about it in a week. What did creation do in creation? Sounds like a silly question, doesn't it? What part did creation do in creation? Nothing. Other than do that which the Lord had commanded him to do. Yeah. It to do. He said that there be light and there was light. And friends, if you belong to the Lamb this morning and your heart has believed upon him, know this. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Mm. 
You see, he, he, he spoke life into nothing to create the universe. And he maintains and orders that universe without any outside influence. He does that with outside, without any outside influence. You see, where men and women are, we think that we... That someone said to me some time ago that we're the hands and feet of God. We're not. No. <laughs> we're really not. In his grace, he uses feeble men. In his goodness, in his kindness towards us, oh, he uses all of our life. Remember what he said to, to the Pharisees, to the Jews? I'll raise up stones to worship me. Yeah. You see, this is, this is a God who is sovereign. This is a God who is awesome in power. This is a God who deserves all the glory. And I want to say to you, even in salvation, how he brought about your salvation, how he brought about the salvation of his people. It, friends, it's all of God. By this redemptive plan that shall not fail. Do you, friends, believe that on that great banquet feast, do you think any seat will be empty? Maybe a few empty seats in our churches, but be sure of this. On that great day, there'll be no empty seat. Those who have been invited, friends, will be there. They will be there. Because God did this. And all glory is due his name. He will usher in the elect. And the above. And above all things, friends, this is ultimately for his name's sake. And for his glory. Another quote. The Holy One of Israel created a people and formed a people for his glory. And in a display of that glory, he will now protect and rescue them. The people of God are made for God's own glory. That took me, as I read that quote, to that passage I've already partly quoted we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose, for his purpose friends, for whom he foreknow he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he predestined these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified. Listen to this. And those whom he has justified, these he also glorified. The theologians call it the golden chain. Foreknown, predestined, huge subject. You'll be dealing with that, no doubt. You've probably dealt with it. You probably think about it. You probably think, how do we contemplate that? But know this. Read the text. Read that text and ask yourselves, why has he predestined me? The answer is this. To be conformed into the image of his son. Then we see that Paul affirms that this is certain. Whom he called, these he justified. And those whom he justified, these he glorified. Friends, this is the redemptive plan of God, which is absolute. This will not fail. Because its outcome 
If we think of the outcome of all of this, and the outcome of this is to glorify God. And friends, that must be and that will be done for all eternity. I've just kind of dangled a carrot really in front of you this morning regarding these subjects. But I confess, I cannot fathom why these things cannot be accepted by some. I joined Charles Spurgeon when he said, Upon these great truths I have for my pillow at night. Saints is thus not just the best thing ever. But we have a God who rules and reigns. Who is completely reliable because he is completely sovereign. That we belong to a God who truly does reign. A God who will only ever accomplish what he said he would. This morning that we, we can trust that the God who made the universal universe providentially cares for you. He cares for you. If he saved you, you shall meet him in the air. Be assured of that. If you truly are a child of God this morning. I was preaching last week in 1 John 4, 17. I actually rang Russell up to see what he thought about it. That judgment day. And, and, and the Apostle John says this to you. Have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because God has justified you. He is sanctifying you. And he will one day glorify you. We're saved friends. We're saved. It's done. It is finished. And it will cease. It will not cease to be. That we serve a God who promises. Do not and cannot fail. He will lead you. And you shall not lack. And friends, he has prepared a table for you. Before your enemies. Yeah. And I only simply ask you this morning, and I say these things to encourage you, but I ask you, do you ever believe it? Brethren, what God has declared shall come to pass. Why? For he is the great prophet. And if we deny this, we deny him. Friends, he, he reigns supremely above all things. Will then his reign fail or cease? We conclude, no, no. He is the King of Kings. Church, as I finish, will not the priest and the sacrifice of himself purchase in full? Friends, it will. I've already said it. But I conclude in reminding you and encouraging you that he is our great high priest who gave himself to bring about so great a salvation. Be careful, dear ones, not to cheapen and weaken this work of grace. We then finish where we started. It all is to the glory of God. Yeah. If you're still asking why, then maybe you've not yet quite realised that for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen.